Hello, friends and listeners of the LeaderCast podcast. This is Mo, the producer, jumping on really quick before this episode starts to let you know that we are going to be wrapping up season one of the podcast. The final episode in season one will be coming out on April 23rd. We are going to be coming back with an even better season two later this year. Stay tuned on our socials for updates as we know more, and thank you for being an avid listener. It was either I blacked out because I remember like leaving my body and then I remember coming back to my body. It was very quick, right? And I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with my, 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 my two thoughts. I'm going to heaven to be with my grandma. Like those were the two little things that popped in my head in that moment. And then it was like somebody snapped their fingers and I was back in my body. Welcome to the LeaderCast podcast, a weekly deep dive into the stories that transformed our guests into leaders worth following. I'm your host, Joe Boyd. If you've been enjoying the podcast, thank you so much for being a listener. One simple thing you can do to help us out is leave a review wherever you listen. Today's guest is Chanda Hinton. She's the founder of the Chanda Center of Health, where she helps a ton of people, and it's rooted in a very significant, painful part of her life. And I think so many of us as leaders deal with the same stuff. Chanda Hinton, welcome to the LeaderCast podcast. Super excited to have you today. Excited to get to know you. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here and uh, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, so uh, for all the folks that don't know you, can you can you just tell a little bit of, of what you do today, what you're into? Absolutely. Um, my name, well, you already know my name, Chanda Hinton, but I am the executive director of um, what's known as the Chanda Center for Health in Denver, Colorado. And what we do is we provide integrative health care to folks with um, physical disabilities. And so that's taking a proactive approach to your healthcare, knowing that you live with something that's not going to change. So for example, example, I have a spinal cord injury. So I know that, um, you know, with my paralysis, like I'm not going to regain, but I still want to maintain wellness for the sake of having a productive, successful life where I get to participate in in life, whether that be work, whether that be social events, whatever that may be. And so um, our center just allows that opportunity to exist for folks with disabilities um, through acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, physical therapy, care coordination, behavioral health, dental services, um, all underneath one roof um, and at no cost for the individual. And we're a nonprofit. So we provide these services um, uh, through philanthropic dollars, or we do uh, systemic change. So we'll actually, um, you know, go to the legislation and change uh, Medicaid law in order to fund these types wow. of services. Awesome. Great work. And I know you've been at that for a long time as well. Uh, started in 2005. Did I see that correctly? Yeah. 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 2005 is, yeah. When, I, when we started the, the organization and then um, in terms of, um, where it all really truly starts. I think that's the interesting question, right? Because, yeah. you know, being injured at nine and um, seeing whether, you know, I was born to um, lead and be kind of an, an individual that um, took something upon myself to create an opportunity for others. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting question to identify, like, when it where does your leadership come from, right? Yeah. Well, I definitely want to hear that story as much as you're, uh, I'm sure you tell it all the time, but as much as you're willing to tell, if you wouldn't mind, can you let us know the story of, uh, of your paralysis and how that all came to be? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when I was uh, nine years old, I was accidentally shot in the back of the neck between C5, C6. And so 
Um, definitely an, an accidental um, situation. Um, young boy picked up a gun. Um, it uh, disfired he, or discharged and it um, severed, as I mentioned, C5, C6. And so um, from that very moment, um, C5, C6 quad. So that means that um, my paralysis is from my armpits down. Um, and, you know, as a little girl, like just you, you never you never imagine that even even as an adult. Sometimes I'm even just like, wait a second, like that truly happened. Right. Like I was shot when I was nine. Right. right, like, right. You just you don't. That's not usually a narrative that um, uh, you you think is going to be your you know story. While it's left me with paralysis, I think some of the the biggest particular issues around it is just knowing that I had to navigate the world differently from um, how I felt like physically, how I was feeling um, healthcare wise, um, navigating the world, like, you know, just realizing that not everything's accessible or available to you. Yeah. So basically the, the injury has launched me into a space where, um, you know, I've had to look at the world in a very different way and take it upon myself to either take charge of certain things um, and be a strong advocate or um, all, other times too, just realizing like, I don't, I don't need to be an advocate. Are the, do you have direct memories of it or is it just like, do you remember yeah, things? Yeah. 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 So as soon as the, as soon as the bullet entered my, the back of my neck, um, there was a little bit of a moment where I had a space of, it was either I blacked out or, um, cause I remember like leaving my body. And then I remember coming back to my body Really, and during that time, it was very quick. Right. Um, and I remember thinking, uh, there, there was, Oh, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with my, 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 my two thoughts. I'm going to heaven to be with my grandma. Like those were the two little things that popped in my head wow. in that moment. And then it was like somebody snapped their fingers and I was back in my body. Right. So then I could, I could hear the noise. I could hear the boys scream and I could, and I knew, I knew what was going on. Like I knew instantly that I was shot. I knew that the boys were screaming because of it, but they came up to me and I, and you know, you're typically not supposed to move, but I could just, I could tell the stretching in my neck. Even the only thing that I could feel was my face, but I asked him to pick me up and take me out of the chair and put me in the couch, which again, we were all in a moment of trauma. We were yeah. in a moment of anxiety. So like doing the things that, we probably shouldn't do um, wasn't the top priority. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so he had laid me on the couch and I just remember not having any sort of um, orientation to space. It felt like as though when he laid me on the couch, like I just, I just sunk through the couch and was laying on this like hard, cold um, frozen floor in a way, you know? And wow. so um, those are the integral kind of like yeah. really, detailed moments um that I experienced and just being aware of so much around me in that moment um I think for me there was I liked that I was able to be a part of that process because when you look back at it knowing like okay had I blanked out the whole time or had I had that memory I think that the memory and me being able to verbalize and talk um did create a different situation because I was able to kind of guide, guide them through their own trauma in that moment, because they were not, 
making the most rash decisions. So right. I was like, right. Telling them like call nine one one like I'm a little girl that's shot telling them right. to call one one and so um yeah there's a lot of that that has led to um you know who I am today and what I choose to do yeah I'm just curious do you do you get tired of telling that story that sometimes you wish you didn't have to <laughs> I think I think um, I'm asking it as I just asked you to tell it no 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 um I think that it's a great question because for me it's like I've chose to put myself into a particular situation to where me telling the story is part of what I like. If I'm going to choose to start a nonprofit and choose to like, you know, serve people with disabilities, integrative therapies, like I'm choosing for people to ask me about my story. Right. right, right, Um, right. And so there's that piece of it. Now, believe me though, because I have to still, tell that story as it relates to the bigger picture of um, what's occurring in the world around disability and wellness. Um, Do I get sick of telling it sometimes? Absolutely. Like there are moments when you don't get to choose whether you want to advocate or not, but then there are like, so for example, like I, if I'm going to go have lunch with a friend and I realize that somebody's not parked in the, the accessible parking spot in the right way, like in that moment, if I don't feel that, because advocating every day that we have to do with almost everything. Yeah. If I don't have the, the ability to advocate that day, like I'm just going to acknowledge it and be like, well, normally I would go say something. I would say it kind. I would, I would educate, but guess what? I don't feel like I don't have the energy to do that right now. So there's times where it's exhausting. And then there's other times where it's like, um, I'm just not going, I'm just not going to choose it depending on yeah. if I really have the choice to do that. Right. At what point did you sort of feel like that, that incident and what happened to you was going to lead to a career or, um, helping others? I was always a leader, even like, um, you know, in high school. Right. So, you know, I was on the student council. I was on, um, so I, I saw myself as ambition, right? I had yeah. ambition, I had drive, I had all of that. Um, but I also feel as though that being able to have ambition and drive, living with a spinal cord injury, which, you know, I think oftentimes what I'll hear from folks is that, you know, you, you, you know, you work just as much as your other coworkers, you, um, and it's not because I'm trying to, um, compensate to say, oh, I want to be, I, I want to be, you know, like I'm not dismissing the fact that like I have a disability. I just have a very, very hard, um, drive. And, and sometimes that drive with my disability is a detriment to myself, meaning like, and my healthcare yeah. and how it, how I model it for others. Right. right. Because there are other people with disabilities where it's like, you know, you were you, you, the the amount of output and energy and um, that you do is so significant that sometimes it makes it seem that disability doesn't seem to interrupt your life when when we all know that it absolutely does. Yes. So, but I do think that that's that's an interesting part about my leadership and 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 being aware of like how much energy we put into things and how much 
that's modeled to others. As you, as you are growing into a leader, any thoughts on, uh, I'm just curious, anything that you maybe particularly stumbled upon that you maybe did well uh, as a leader early on, uh, potentially because of your disability or what, or just who you are, or if you want to go there, any, any mistakes you made early on? I think that oftentimes um, leaders, it's like there's definitely this um, desire to definitely not micromanage. Yeah. Um, but yet also, um, so my, like balancing that micromanagement <laughs> with, with delegation as well as like um, people having ownership. Right. Yeah. And so especially when you start an organization when the the core of it is so much based on a very personal situation, meaning like I had very poor health, which is the whole reason why I started this nonprofit. Like I, you know, not only from the injury of being shot, like I was on my, I was on my deathbed again because of the overutilization of the medical model and, and getting, um, getting addicted to opioids and not even knowing that, right. And having to be hospitalized and using medical intervention to save my life that when I created this, it became such a personal thing that like, it it was easy for me to put a lot of energy and love into it. So I think that when you have employees and you have team and you're the leader of them, you know, the difference between looking at a position and a job versus yeah. You know, a place where you go to work and you have passion and you care about it just as much as the founder or the owner. I mean, those are all those variances that yeah. really can um, affect the way that you lead a team. Yeah. I, you you kind of quickly mentioned something that I don't think I was aware of. So when you say that we talked about when you were a kid, what happened? But then you said that the medical treatment actually caused was not going well for you, right? Developing world-class leaders in your community is now easier than ever with LeaderCast. In addition to our flagship May event, becoming a presenting partner allows you to stream multiple events per year, each with an opportunity to earn money. The new LeaderCast lets you invite 1 to 1,000 people with unlimited streaming opportunities. Check out more at LeaderCast.com or the link in our bio. So the injury was one thing, but the, the the true reason why I started the foundation was because when I turned 21, I had chronic pain. Um, I went to my physician. They're like, oh, yeah, secondary condition to your spinal cord injury is that chronic pain is one of them. So, um, you know, this is right. 2020, uh, 2003. So um, in 03, this is like the the peak of the opioid epidemic, right. Where they're, you know, Hey, this is like handing it out like candy kind of thing. And so he puts me on um, Percocet. Well, it's like, we, we know that that's not the the long-term solution. Right. And so I became very um, dependent on the opioid. I was bed bound. I got down to 59 pounds. I, um, I just wasn't, I wasn't living. And it was because the chronic pain, the opioid use, not doing, um, anything productive or in terms of proactive to my healthcare. So then that's, you know, I, when I was then hospitalized to basically save my life, that was when they did, they were feeding me intravenously. They um, had a feeding tube put in. So it was almost like the utilization of 
not doing any proactive services, but using only a medical model where it's like, okay, here's your wheelchair, sit there, consume a lot of medications, good luck. Like that doesn't work. That's not a, that's not something that's viable for anyone. And so um, after I was, you know, saved through medical intervention, the doctor's like, well, go back and do what you were doing before. And I'm like, no, that's just as this vicious cycle where I'm going to be here potentially again with the same situation. And so that's when the proactive and preventative healthcare model um, is what my sister who was doing yoga for many, many years just said, Hey, let's, let's give Chanda's body what it deserves, which means that, you know, it used to move. It used to get blood circulation, lymphatic drainage, like all these things. And so why aren't we giving the body what it deserves and needs in order to be, is productive as possible to like reduce the opioids, reduce the hospitalizations, reduce all the things. And so that was, I, I'm, I mean, I'm here talking to you because of um, the utilization of acupuncture, massage and chiropractic and, and seeing as a vital part of my healthcare and sustaining good healthcare, living with a long-term spinal cord injury. If I'm doing the math right, you that was 2003, and you basically launched your organization in 05, right? Yes. Yeah. So you you didn't take much time from figuring out what was working for you to wanting to give it to others. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. As soon as I knew that integrative health, because um, was work, you know, was impactful for me. That's when I was like, what, like, how do I get this one to sustain this financially for myself? But then, how do we make sure like this can't be just a hidden story. We can't be assuming that, I mean, there's tons of folks with paralysis all over the, yeah. the, the country. Like who, wh- why are we not talking about the fact that sustaining wellness doesn't happen or it is happening through, um, you know, such as massage and acupuncture. And so um, my, my initial um, place of going was to um, connect with the Colorado Medicaid is, saying, hey, like, let's look at why we're not funding these services, but let's also fund it for the sake of ensuring, one, it's going to save our taxpayer dollars a lot of money. Like, if you're thinking all these people with disabilities that are on Medicaid, which most of the folks, you know, there's very few percentage of folks that with long-term disabilities can, you know, have an income to cover all of their medical expenses and all the things that come with it, right? And so, that's where we started with was met with Medicaid because if they were to invest in proactive and preventative health care, um, which we do now know several years, 20 or 10 years later, 15 years later, we're now seeing that there's we do have cost effectiveness. Like people are not going to the ER or taking as much medication. And so um it's a benefit. It's a benefit for all. Yeah. Uh, your leadership stories can like all, all leadership involves leading people through change, I, I think, I'm pretty sure, even if it's just getting a little better, right? But but some leaders, I think, are uh, called, for lack of a better word, to to initiate significant change. And it feels like that's part of what you do for sure. You're changing a system. You're changing laws even. Uh, I'm curious as you – I'm curious about just what you've learned and how change happens, uh, particularly big sort of systemic change. Um, because a lot of folks listening are probably not like in your field, but they are trying to change something. They're trying to to change a company culture or they're trying to change 
a systemic problem in the world. So just having done the hard work, what, what, what comes to your mind when you think of a leader who's trying to initiate a significant change, what, what sorts of things should they be thinking? If we're trying to be, you know, more macro about like just trying to initiate any sort of change, I think that, um, you know, multiple voices modeling is very important in the sense of, um, you know, cause, cause I think that I drove change by using the voices of others. I used change by, and like, I got very strategic about change in the yeah. sense that, so I think that when you're strategic and you're intentional, um, and, um, you know, have, have integrity, I think that good leaders have to come with, with the, with that recipe. I'm mindful of the reality that, um, how I create changes in a way that um, holds those pieces that it's, mm-hmm. it's for good. It's not for bad. It's for, for, for integrity. It's for um, impact. It's um, th- those are all the things. And I think with, with my team, like if I'm trying to change the culture here at the Chanda center um, with my staff, I do a lot of, I do a lot. I, I lead a, a, a with, kind of a linear collaborative model. I'm not one to have hierarchy again, different leaders. I think that there's other people like there's no way that you could lead without having, you know, those very specific ideas. And we have roles. We have a, we have a very structural, uh, you know, tier of who, who reports to who, but buy-in and collaboration doesn't mean that you can't still, be a peer of those within you, but still hold a very um, supervisor role to them. And I think that um, not everyone's good at that. And some people are really great at that. Yeah. I'm curious as we're, uh, we're unfortunately running out of time. It's been great to talk to you. Um, But as, uh, because I just love what you're doing and who knows who's listening to this. Somebody usually listens. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm wondering if uh, something may have touched someone specifically with your story uh, or the mission that you're on. Uh, is there anything that I'm, I'm a little tempted to ask you kind of what keeps you up at night? And is there anything that you could use help with in the world? Because someone listening may, may have uh, something that could help you. So as a leader, what, what are you currently facing? That's it's such a great question. And I'm actually really happy that you asked it because I think, one thing with leaders is that when you do create the owner or founder is, is this secession of it, like the passing on mm, of it, like yeah. knowing you can't, you can't be there forever. Like you've, you've got to, you've got to bring in new blood. You've got to let people that have expertise beyond you take it to the next level. Right. Yeah. And be graceful about that. And I think that that's always, so that's what, that's what keeps me up. It's kind of like mm. you've created something so amazing and it's impacting so many lives, but how do you make sure that you pass it off in a way that um, still holds some of your integrity, but also you're like, you, you've got to let, you're going to have to let go at one point, right? It's not, there's always that thing about founder syndrome. And for me, it's always been like, it's not because I don't want to let go. It's because I want to make sure that 
however I transition it is really at for the most of the organization and the donors that have been giving to this organization, like where do you hold that level of passing on the torch to something that you hope continues for many years to come? Yeah, that's an, such an honest answer. Thank you for uh, – I, I have a hunch that just verbalizing it that uh, yeah. maybe maybe the universe will show you something this week. Um, yeah. if, if someone wants to just reach out to you or learn more about your organization – uh, what's the best way to to get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, our website is thechandacenter.org. And so, um, of course, our phone number, our email, all that great stuff is on the web. So, so I encourage people to go to the website and um, they can reach out to us at any time. Chanda, thank you so much. Your, uh, your spirit comes through the Zoom call. And uh, you're an inspiration to me and so many others I know. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And you're part of LeaderCast now. You're in. Thanks for being part of our community. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a great time. Thanks. In today's ultra-competitive job market, top-tier talent are leaving companies in search of top-tier professional development. Now more than ever, you must invest in your emerging leaders. LeaderCast 365 is a world-class professional development system featuring access to three annual LeaderCast events, a post-event journey to activate the inspiration and insights gained from LeaderCast events, plug-and-play lunch-and-learn programs with group discussion questions, concise video courses to address weaknesses and build upon strengths, and our library of more than 1,200 short-form videos from a slate of industry experts organized into 16 key professional development categories. Invest in your all-star employees and attract new top talent to join them with LeaderCast 365.